Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan, and I am a solo daddy. That sounded a little weirder than I meant it. Katie's out of town on a little girl's trip, and I'm going to get this interview out with Jenna Spangler, a good friend of ours that we have been chatting with for a number of years. You'll hear all about that and how we know her and what her speciality is. Katie will be joining me and Jenna in the interview, so don't worry. You don't have to just listen to me for the next 45 minutes, okay? A little bit longer than that, but it's okay. Now, before we get to the interview, we do have a few announcements. So if you went or listened to the Dan McClellan uh, live event, we are gracious and so glad that you came and hopefully you enjoyed it. We thought it was absolutely wonderful. We did have it professionally recorded, not just Zoom recorded. There were some issues with the Zoom um, audio, which we ended up figuring out towards the end of the event. But we did have it professionally recorded, and we will be releasing that audio and video online, both in this podcast feed and on YouTube. So look for it there. Uh, thank you, Dan, once again. You don't listen to this podcast, so I can literally call you anything I want, but I won't because you're a wonderful human, and I'm not a jerk most of the time. Now, a couple, two more announcements. Number one is we are going to be on February 25th speaking, the opening speakers, in fact, at Thrive St. George. Now, this is a event, an event, if you want to be more particular about your English grammar, an event that is meant for those that are uh, processing deconstruction or the exiting of your church community. We have had multiple mixed faith couples come to our Thrive uh, talks before, and sometimes the believing spouse will be there for the entire day and listen to the other speakers to show compassion for their non-believing spouse, uh, and other times they'll just come to listen to Katie and me speak, and then they will exit, and sometimes the post-Mormon exits with them. So you play it however you want. We do plan on uh, recording, or maybe not live, but recording our specific um topic, which is going to be on what to do about Sundays and releasing it here, if it's notably different than the episode we did a couple of weeks ago. Last announcement. These announcements go a lot faster when Katie and I aren't bantering off of each other. So that's good for everybody, right? Get right to the meat of the podcast. The last announcement is our workshop on a tightrope. This is the eighth time that we've done this. If you don't know what this is, this is a six to seven week. So there's six weeks and then a bonus week on sex and intimacy. But a six to seven week course with a licensed therapist, Natasha Helfer, who is an expert in mixed faith, Mormon mixed faith couples specifically. Uh, she's been doing that for over 20 years. So she is absolutely an expert. And we are just the facilitators <laughs> that try to chime in with our experience, but mostly ran by Natasha. What we do is for seven straight weeks, we get on a Zoom for two hours with all the couples that have signed up. We still have four, maybe five, I don't have the registrations up in front of me, slots left. We limit it so that everybody has an opportunity to uh, have equal time in speaking in the group. But we have about 25 total couples that will join in this, this event for two hours every single Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, you can register through Thinkific. Uh, that's spelled like it sounds, think and then I-F-I-C. It's marriageonatightrope.thinkific.com, and this is the February 2023 course or session. At the current moment, we don't have any scholarships available, but 
if you are in financial need and this is something that is pressing in your marriage that is really going to help you, don't hesitate to send us an email, marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. We have donors who have told us they are at the ready if there is a couple in need. Uh, We don't go to those donors unless there is a need, so unless you need it. Uh, You can just sign up at the full cost of the course, and we will send you all of the information of what to do before we meet. Next Sunday, the first Sunday, is Sunday, February 19th at 7 p.m. Mountain. Okay, that's all the announcements. We hope you enjoy this episode with Janice Spangler. We'll talk to you on the next one. Now we would like to welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope, our good friend, Jana Johnson Spangler. Jana, thanks for being here. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It is a crime. This is now five years we've done the podcast. You've never been on Marriage on a Tightrope. I know. It's about time, guys. What the heck? There is a lot of guilt coursing through my veins at the moment. That's actually what I text Jana when I asked her to do the podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why haven't we done this? And we've done a number of lunches together and meetups and she helped at our retreat last year. And it, it's just so shocking to me that we haven't had you on. So I'm so excited that you said you would do this. So thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I love, I love our chats. And so I know this is going to be a great conversation. Okay, Alan. So why don't you talk about how you first met Jana? Yes. So I think we ran into each other in a few different Facebook groups. Back mm-hmm. then it was a thoughtful faith. I remember yes. in there. And now it's Waters of Mormon. Still a really good group. I haven't been there in quite a bit. But are you Wait, still active there? Didn't you get mm-hmm. kicked out of Waters of Mormon? No, I'm still in it. Oh. I'm still in it. You, you survived? You survived? I, I the, survived the, the purge. Calling. Yes. The purge. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm as active as I once was in there, but I still check in. Yeah, yeah. Time time. I'll yeah. I'll still jump in during the they have really good um general conference chats. Yes. I love the general conference feed there. Yeah. It's I, the best time to I do think a I conference. Still jump in every, every conference just at least one or two sessions. Yeah, I actually hated yeah. you. I hated them for that for a while because I was when I didn't understand. I didn't understand for the first year. And I thought it was toxic to have a bunch of people talking about the church. Don't rehearse your doubt. <laughs> I, I right. thought it was so toxic. And then, and then now, like having been through it, what, five years or so now I feel like I need the one, I'm the one that right. needs to sit and yes. talk to people about the good and the bad. Absolutely. And now I look at it and I say, wow, they're being really nice about all of this because yeah. it's really not the kind of place where it's just bashing, but it is a safe place to say, Hey, this doesn't make sense to me or Whoa, what's going on. But they also do a really good job of of pointing out what is also really edifying and good about it. hundred percent. So I think we crossed paths there first. And then in person, we ran into each other at Sunstone. Yes. And that was delightful. That was delightful. delightful. I think it's not very often that you find people that are in this space that stay in this space for a long period yeah, of time it's true. and, and true. Jana, you've been one of those kind of staples I feel like you've been a staple in this space for mm-hmm. quite some time and which is why I am super excited to talk about your journey because there has mm-hmm. been kind of an evolution to it for you personally but also professionally and I want to get to that um Jana is amazing because we 
it was probably our second uh, meetup that we wanted to do it was right before the pandemic. Like literally yes. like two weeks. Like February, February, 2020, yeah. right February before 2020. things shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we said, Hey, is someone willing to host? And Jana offered her home and her home is just beautiful. And um, we were able to connect there. And then this kind of like set us off on the path of friendship and um, camaraderie, if you will, (laughs) in this space. And um, Jana, you yourself are in a mixed faith marriage. What? I am. Yes, I am. And, you know, I'm sure it's been said many times on this podcast, but like, yeah, we've all been in mixed faith marriages since the day we got married, but it's been about nine years since I realized I was in a mixed faith marriage. (laughs) Wait, how long has it been since your husband realized you were and they were? Okay. That's a, that's a good question. That's a better question. Maybe I think I leaked that out slowly over the first year. So he's probably been on that slippery slide. I I've been very, I've, I've been very gentle on him, not always on purpose, but, um, I just think my own journey has been pretty slow. So, you know, he's had time to catch up at times. Not that I haven't shocked him here and there, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here listening from the perspective of someone who has no idea who Jana is. Maybe Katie (laughs) is the best person to answer this. Why the H? Why the S? Which pick a letter? Why the X? Are we having what? Who is this Jenna? When what is she, like? Why is she here? Is she an expert in any way? And and like is she eloquently spoken? I don't know. Pump her up a little bit. I want to. I want to hear what you think of Jenna. Oh gosh. Okay. So and that'll kind of lead us into what we're here to talk about today. Right. So um, the, one of the first times I talked to Jenna was at the meetup. And at the meetup, Jana um, was doing, had done life coaching and she was in Symmetry Solutions with, um, Symmetry Souls with Natasha Helfer. And um, she, she, you actually were on the recruitment side. You were like, Katie, there's these great programs. You can do this. And I was just immediately intrigued by the level of, um, I don't know, depth and compassion mm-hmm. and um, intelligence that you had and that you brought to every conversation. And not only that, um, Jan and I have presented together before and the fact that she can hold space for the most orthodox believing person and also someone who has been traumatized by the church and who is viscerally angry and um, she can hold space for both of them and bridge the gap. And that's something that I love about Jana. And I mean, mm-hmm. above all the things that we're going to get into that she has done for herself, I feel like you bring such a an, an beautiful balance. And I am drawn to people who are balanced. And she's worked through a lot. We all work through a lot. But um I would say for me, that's something that I, I am drawn in by. And if any of you have heard her story, she was on Mormon stories with John Dillon. I hear it referenced in our group multiple times. I mean, people absolutely loved hearing um, what you had to say. And I, I feel similar to like Margie Dillon, like you are just this really like bright spot 
for me. So I, I think we can turn it over to Jana and Jana, maybe you can talk us through like, you know, just, yes, yeah, about you. The space and yeah, let, like we want you to give you a t- chance to talk about who you are. Anybody can just go and like print up in Microsoft word. I am a life coach. And that's not <laughs> what you did. You went and did some, some legitimate stuff. So yes. talk to us. Yeah. That is true. Well, first of all, just thank you so much for that, man. I am feeling the love and the respect. I mean, that's just, that was just beautiful. Um, I'm humbled that if I ever need to feel good about myself, I know where to go. I'm going to call Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm the definition of, of a wounded healer, right? Like I never set out to go into this kind of a field. Um, I just had my faith kind of torn apart and obliterated and rebuilt. Um, and, and the pain of that just, it was like, I need to do something with this. And it, all of it kind of just fell into my lap just because I was desperate to make my way through this with my head above water. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been about a nine year journey for me. Um, I think I, I did have it in my mind that I maybe wanted to go into, um, a counseling field, uh, maybe, uh, marriage and family therapy was kind of on my mind, mainly just because I, I had some close people in my life, family members and friends who kind of relied on me actually before any of this ever happened to talk through their marriages with them and their relationships. I've always been really drawn to trying to help relationships. So it actually kind of started there with me. And while I was kind of trying to make sense of what was happening with me and my faith, I, that I met Natasha helper was one of the first people I met in that journey. And I had reached out to her to kind of ask, you know, I've just heard of this discipline of coaching. I don't know much about it. Um, I, you know, I'm wondering if, if therapy would be a good fit for me. And, you know, I'd already been talking to some programs to get my master's and, um, we sat down and, um, within a few months, she had had the idea of starting symmetry solutions and invited me to just join as a coach. And like you said, Alan, you can just say I'm a life coach and, and there's no, formal licensing you have to have. There's no regulatory body, which actually really scared me away from it at first, because I just thought there's no legitimacy in that. And, you know, you can, you can get any Yahoo doing this stuff. Right. Um, but when I was given that opportunity, I just thought, what a great opportunity to try this out, uh, working with some therapists and to really discern for myself what I want to do. But I couldn't just do that and just jump in. I mean, it helped having these amazing therapists as supervisors and and mentors, but um, I immediately looked for a coaching program so that I could actually be trained and know what it, what in the world I was doing. So I, um, I spent a year doing um, an associate and then professional program with um, Integral Coaching Canada. The Integral has a reference to Integral Theory by Ken Wilber, um, which I kind of, got into in a few different ways. Uh, felt like a lot of things just kind of fell in my lap at the same time that I found this coaching program. I started doing some, um, I started gathering with Thomas McConkie and his lower lights community 
um, about that time, and turns out that uh, that Tom McConkey also worked for a, a company based on Integral at the time, and a lot of the people in that community kind of talk about Integral theory. So that that became a thing, and at the same time, it's kind of when I found Richard Rohr, and I signed up for the Living School, um, and did that two-year program. And they also talk about integral there. So I was, a lot of things were just kind of coming together for me. And, and it really, it it felt like um, the universe coming together for me in a way that I'd always wanted it to in Mormonism and through my faith. But I always kind of heard all the stories of other people having these amazing things happen in their lives and it never happening to me and wondering what was wrong with me my whole life. Um, so it was a really kind of a magical thing. And um, I, I can that confluence kind of all happened at the beginning of um, maybe 2017. And so the last six years, I've just kind of spent uh, coaching and deepening into um, all of the things that I learned in those spaces. And it's all of that has really informed the way that I work with people today. So now I, I, primarily see people who are going through some sort of complication of their faith or shift in faith or loss of faith or however you want to talk about it. Um, I work with a lot of mixed faith marriages. I work with families. I work, um, I work with just about anybody. Um, and I, I also definitely have clients who are never Mormon, never religious, never, you know, not, not, uh, not seeing me for that area of their life. So. Um, I, I now feel like I have a broad um, basis to work with just about everybody, but I've definitely got an emphasis on this whole faith journey stuff. Okay. Um, I When you were talking about all of the different um, schools of thought and things that you've been working on and learning to help other people, how has this affected your own personal journey as you've taken it in? And, and, and kind of parsed out what, how that affects you personally. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because it's like, you you cannot piece the two apart, right? As I'm getting trained on how to work with people, I'm absolutely doing my own work along the way. In fact, that that's kind of a philosophy of my coaching school. You know, they, they, they focus mostly on the, in the first program, they focus mostly on the theory behind what you're doing and all of the things you need to do to be a coach. But then the second half of the program, you are being intensely coached as you are deepening in their method. Um, because I, I do feel like any, um, any of these professions where you're holding space for other people, unless you are doing your own work, um, you can really, um, it, it's, it's more likely you're going to lay your story on somebody else's or, um, think that, you know, how to help people because, you know, this is why I, I, I work with the therapists. They talk about the counter transference and all of the things that can happen in therapy where uh, you get triggered in sessions. And of course I'm, I'm still on my faith journey. Like, it's not like I went through this and arrived somewhere, right? I, I, um, I said this when I did my Mormon story and it is still true that this is who I am today. This is who I am right now. And if you talk to me in a year, I'm going to be in a different place. 
And I'm glad I said that because it's true. It's been three years and I'm in a different place than when I did my Mormon story. Um, but yeah, they, they feed off each other for sure. You know, um, my own journey informs a bigger picture and my coaching work informs, um, a skill set of deeper listening and deeper understanding. Um, and I, I think I came into this with a personality to hold space for different people in different places. I just think that's kind of who I am, but this, my work has deepened that even more. Um, and you can't deepen your compassion for other people without that affecting your compassion for yourself. So it, it, it's all folded in on itself. Okay. I love, I love that you talked about that, the inner work of yourself and doing that and how important it is um, because, you know, you can't, like most people say, you can't, you can't get water from a dry well, so to speak. So where do you see this in your clients as far as when you see a couple come in together and how does that affect the individual versus the couple? Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, when I, when I first started working with couples, I really, um, you know, there are some really great tools out there, you know, communication is key and knowing how to communicate with one another and learning how to really listen to one another. And there, there are really good tools that we can use. And the longer I work with couples, the more I recognize that our own programming as a person, all our, our personality, the ways we were raised, the, um, the micro traumas and the major traumas that happened to us in our upbringing, um, really affect our ability to be able to utilize those tools. And if, even if we intellectually know it's a good idea, when we get into a place where we're feeling defensive or we're feeling um, like we hit a really hard spot, we're having a hard conversation um, as couples, it's really hard. Um, I feel like our biology and all of our programming in our neural pathways is kind of working against us doing the things that help us have strong long-term relationship. So the further I get in this, the more I am convinced that if you really want to do good couples work, it requires really good inner work. It it requires a lot of individual work as well. And if you really want to make strides in your relationship, I highly recommend doing both. What have you found as far as inner work goes? What have you mm-hmm. found like a good place to start? Someone that's seeing this and being like, yes, I get it. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some, some inner work exercises or content to yeah. dig into? I don't know. Like to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, this is, this is like a super nebulous area and it's been a little frustrating to me actually, because I always do want to give good, uh, material. I'm always giving references to people, read this book, read this podcast, you know, or listen to this podcast, listen to this, you know, do these courses. But I find that, um, really good inner work. Um, there's a lot out there, but it's really hard to know where to go. So, um, it's interesting. I actually have found that, um, when you are looking into the, this realm, whether it's, uh, entering into wisdom tradition and, and spiritual kind of books, and I know spiritual can be a loaded word. I just mean with spiritual, I'm not talking about that as related to any formal religious um, 
tradition, but I'm, I'm talking about it as the, the streams of religion that have gone into inner work. So think, uh, Sufis, Kabbalah, contemplative Christians, Buddhism. There are a lot of streams that actually speak to very similar things. They're closer to each other than they are often to the traditions that informed them. Um, so I find that that kind of work combined with people who are teaching really good inner processing on an emotional level and people who are teaching somatics and neuro, the neuroscience of trauma, that actually all of those places lead to inner work. We kind of think that these are different, um, different disciplines, but there is so much overlap when you really get into it. I'm always amazed by, you know, I do not consider myself an expert in any of these things, but I dabble in all of them, I guess. And I'm always amazed. I'm so, I perk up in the spaces where wisdom tradition, you know, like some Buddhist philosophy is now coming out in all the psychological studies as a path to wellness. You know, I'm fascinated by mindfulness and the way that it has been really studied by the medical community now and by brain scientists in a way that are showing the validity of how it works. And it's really into mainstream, mainstream therapy, therapeutic um, modalities are now using mindfulness. So I love where I find things coming together. So I've, I've learned, I've taken courses from Zen masters on emotional processing, and I've taken courses from psychologists in the field on that. And I've, I've taken courses on, um, from, you know, like Bessel van der Vanderkolk or, um, Gabor Mate, Thomas Hubel on, and Thomas Hubel is really where, uh, trauma and mindfulness come together. So it, it's amazing how all of those fields, when you really start looking into them, start saying the same things from, with different language. And so when I'm working with people, I'm often looking for how they, how their mind works. I'm not going to give someone who is really traumatized about religion, um, you know, here, look into Buddhism, <laughs> you know, or here, look into this or look into this Christian uh, contemplative mystical stream. Like that's not going to be the way I work with that person. Um, but I might start with the scientific angle of that and speak from a different view of where mindfulness is. Um, so the, the resources I give out, I give a lot of similar things to my clients, but people would probably be surprised at the breadth of what I'm giving out because I'm fitting it to how that person thinks, because I really think we have to honor who a person is and, and how they prefer to get information. Yeah. It's so individualized and, and I actually really appreciate that approach because you know, sending out a, a PDF is, and I'm, I, and there's nothing against PDFs. I'm not going to say that. I, well, I'm going to say though, that Mormons really like a checklist. They want a checklist of, if you do this step, then this step, you will get here. And it's yes. all about goals. And there is yes. a, absolutely a place for that. Where does this type of healing fall in that realm, Jenna? Like how, how do we conceptualize that? So it's such a great question. 
So my first thought with that is that I see that as a developmental thing. So integral theory, part of integral theory is looking at developmental studies. So, you know, these spiral dynamics or Fowler stages of faith or, you know, Brian McLaren's little, his, I don't even know what to call his developmental model or, you know, Thomas McConkie uses the stages model. Like I'm really drawn to those models because not because they're the truth, not because they're absolutely the way it is, not because development is just so perfectly linear that way. Um, but because it's just a helpful framing for us to understand and what's happening. And uh, uh, truly, uh, the way I see it, America and and the Mormon church as a microcosm of America, which I kind of feel like it is, it's a nice little intense uh, version of the culture of America. Um I mean, we, you're right. We love a good checklist. We love the 10 step program. A lot of people have actually heard of these developmental things. They've, they've, you know, they recognize now that they've lived in a church that that's centered in Fowler stage three. They feel like they're moving into Fowler stage four and they want the, the, the 10 step program to get them to Fowler stage five because four sucks. Right. And, um, and yes, the 10 step program has its place. It absolutely has its place, but it is firmly at a certain stage of development. And one of the things that you notice about that kind of stage of a dollar stage three or, um, you know, and Brian McLaren talks about it being simplicity or complexity, um, or it's maybe an orange stage in spiral dynamics, whichever model you're using, right? Um what happens is we're actually ushered into the next stage when something in our experience uh, kind of blows that apart. That that when you start to recognize that no 10-step program has the whole story and that your life is not just a template of everybody else's. And I find that a hallmark of going into a Fowler stage four or into perplexity um, and it's the definition of Fowler stage four is that we individuate, which means we start differentiating from the group. And if sometimes for the first time we start to recognize we do have this, this inner world and that the 10 step programs are not going to fix what is going on with me emotionally. It's not going to fix what is going on with me. And some people don't even frame it as emotionally because they, they frame it as intellectual, uh, I don't know what's the word, uh, you know, it's intellectual cognitive dissonance pain. Um, you know, some people are only aware of that because frankly, Western Christianity does a lot of it through the head. We are a very intellectual group. You can do faith as belief from your head very easily. You know, I heard once heard Richard Rohr was in an interview with Brene Brown about a year ago. And he, he said, yeah, it's so interesting what we call faith. You know, we we are told a story when we're three, and then we're told to believe it until we die. And if we do, that's faith. You know, um, and that's very intellectual. And it's, it takes just some willpower and some blinders on to not look at anything that's going to complicate it for us, right? Um, but, um. I'm on a tangent now. I've got to bring it back. But <laughs> the point, <laughs> the point is, is that we are a group that, that tends to do this from our intellect and from a desire to just hold on to a belief. 
rather than and when we and and this is the thing when we start to complicate this stuff it does not need to mean the end of our religious belief it doesn't need to be the end of our religious faith it doesn't need to be the end of that but it might be and we may have to 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 deal with that either way it's hard it's difficult it's painful and frankly if you have a spouse who goes through this and is going through it it's going to usher in a whole lot of uh pain and uh, and emotion for you that you're going to need to learn to deal with. So what I find is this is the time when we get invited into a deeper way of working with our healing and a deeper way of understanding ourselves, which typically leads, leads to a deeper way of us connecting to the world, whether it's through our religion or not. Okay. You mentioned how we take things in intellectually and yes. that we call that faith. And I, I feel like we are, we are definitely not um, balanced with our body, you know, our mm-hmm. mind, body, spirit, whatever. I mean, whatever you want to p- call it. Um, and I think that other than sort of this like new age meditation, you know, we've got, we've got Thomas McConkie, we've got Buddhism, mm-hmm. we have, we've, we've got like these emerging things for us Westerners, right. That yes. um, are new and exciting, but but, but, but I feel like the meditation is helpful for the surface for the, mm-hmm. the right now I'm going to calm down and I need to, but what are the deeper physical things mm-hmm. that we should or can consider um, being helpful in healing? Yeah. Um, so this is what I would say. I, so many people that come see me when they start to, um, to go through a faith shift they find that, that like the Eastern philosophies and the Buddhism, they're really drawn to it. Like not everybody, but a huge number are actually, um, even ones that are burned by religion, you know, I kind of, I'm going to contradict myself with what I said earlier, but, but a lot of people are genuinely interested in it. And I think, I think it is because they, there's a sense that there's, there's a discipline there of looking inward that we have missed in the East or in the West. And frankly, vice versa. I think that, um, you know, when all you're doing is inner work, there's also things that our, our Western ways can, can add to what it is to be human. Right. Um, but, um, the, 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 this is where this, this all kind of meets. So meditation, I, there's a, there's a new person that I'm starting to follow on Instagram that just Instagram brought it up as a suggestion and I started following him. It's really great. His name's uh, Corey Mascara, C-O-R-Y-M-U-S-C-A-R-A. And um, he had this beautiful, I'm going to, I'm not going to get this perfect, but he had a post that um, I've really loved. I've shared it with a lot of clients recently about meditation, but I think this is a a, um, metaphor for life and it will tie together kind of what you're asking about Katie. He says, don't meditate to find peace. You know, that's kind of what we think of when we think of meditation, like, oh, I just need to get quiet and still and then things will be peaceful and I'll understand myself. And we think it's this nice, gentle thing. And, you know, I'll have people who start a meditation practice who are seeing me and they'll come back and they're like, I'm doing it wrong. I just feel anxious every time I sit down or my thoughts are going everywhere. And, and so I think a lot of us frame it this way, like I'm trying to find peace. But I love the way he phrased this. Don't meditate to find peace. Meditate to meet reality. 
when you meet reality, you will find clarity and acceptance. When you find clarity and acceptance, you will stop feeling the need to run from reality from yourself. And when you stop feeling the need to run from yourself, then you find stillness. And in stillness, you will find peace. And I love this because there's there's a paradoxical uh, way of healing. I think when we start to enter into this, call it second half of life, you know, where we really start paying attention to our inner world, um, that we, and this is going to sound kind of familiar, but you kind of have to surrender to win. You have to lose your life to find it. <laughs> you have to, um, you know, there's a paradoxical way. I always think about this, like the, the, the monkey finger traps that the more we try to effort our way out of things, the more stuck we are at this stage. So it's really finding a surrender. So the, re- the reason I like the meditative things is because when we allow that to be a practice, not just where we're trying to be quiet, but when we're trying to meet reality, when we're trying to really see ourselves. And um, I think it's a way of putting on the lab coat and becoming a scientist and starting to observe your own life. I feel like that is the start of everything. And then what that blows open for you when you're starting to pay attention to your life is you start to pay attention to your body and you start to pay attention to not just, oh, I feel anxious, but where, where do I feel anxious in my body? Describe the sensations, describe where that is. You will start to notice that no emotion ever happens to you without it showing up in your body. You know, I think for a long time, I was really confused about the mind-body connection. Like, whoa, that's so mysterious. How does that happen? Well, it, it happens because our our programming has taught us what is safe and not safe in this world. Something will come up. It will trigger us. And we are having a physiological reaction to it that most of us skip right past. We're kind of skimming over the surface of our lives. We we realize we're we're mad, maybe. Maybe if we've done some work on this, we can name that and we can name what that is. Um, But most of the time, if we are not paying attention to our lives, then we are just in survival mode trying to keep ourselves safe. And then we, we react in ways that don't help us in our healing in the long run, that don't help us in our relationships in the long run. And this is why I say we are fighting biology when we want to have good relationships. In, in, and when we want to have healing, we are actually fighting our own biology in that. You know, I almost feel like our protection systems, it's almost like I'll use an analogy of, um, you know, I have an anaphylactic allergy, an anaphylactic reaction to Brazil nuts. You know, when I eat a Brazil nut, my body thinks it's going to kill me. And so its reaction to it is actually the thing, the thing that will kill me. Right. And I feel like that, that happens. It's like we have an overly developed immune system to keeping ourselves safe. So, um, so I really, I have really appreciated all of the learning. I've gotten this from all of these different places, from meditating with the Buddhists, from meditating with the Christians, (laughs) um, from really looking at my religious upbringing and understanding what that is. And then also from the integral world of development and looking at um, becoming more aware of all of our learning centers, our emotional, our body, our our nervous system, 
our neural networks and our brains and our cognitive and understanding how those all come together. Um, it, it makes a much clearer story. And it's it, if we are employing all of those, we are getting to a different level of wisdom that will can help guide us and help us move through all of the difficulties that we face. So as you were talking about, oh gosh, I have to rewind two minutes um, in my own brain and on the recording that isn't real time rewindable. But when you were, you were mentioning, I'm um, talking about emotions and everything like recently, just last night, even I'll just open up and say this last night, um, Katie and I went on our, like, just looking at our schedules today is the 5th of February. We were like, man, things are so busy. We have to go get out to our Valentine's dinner like 10 days before Valentine's. And so we, we were excited. We had reservations. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of in hopefully 30 seconds, talk you through the emotions mm -hmm. of the night. So driving to, how would you describe me driving to the restaurant? Katie. Yeah, you were a little a little weird. Like like fun. Like, like I was in a really good, really mood. good mood. I was I was like we were playing songs and I was dancing in the car as I was driving and singing along with the songs and and like said to her, I'm like, I want to be a really good friend tonight and like ask a lot of questions and and you know, whatever, because we were meeting up with with uh, a couple um that, that we know actually through this space because that's basically everyone that we hang out with. But we get there and dinner was great. <clears throat> dinner was awesome. We had really good conversations, good questions asked, good answers given and whatever. Uh, and then afterwards kind of like drove around town with them for a minute to keep the conversation going. And and then we got home and like, I even recognize it happening, Jana, but the emotional swing just dramatically changes. And it, it wasn't like, I don't think it was, we're back at home, here we go. Like, here comes the the negativity or the negative emotions. But it was, it was, you know, getting into the hot tub and I wasn't really talking with Katie. And then we get back and go up to our bedroom and turn on a show and I turn my back on her. And, and she was like, what is going on? Like, it was like all over the place. And what you said about just kind of being on cruise control and going through life and you're just in basic survival mode, just trying to get through, you don't pause to do any self-work. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm more emotionally constipated, uh, constipated, <laughs> maybe emotionally unstable. I don't know that unstable is the right word for it. I don't think unstable is the right word. I think like, if I think back to like, like you connecting with your body or like the last time you, you like just had a good cry. I feel like I could cry at like a drop of a hat. Right. I'm like, but I feel like when was the last time you had a good cry? Shoot. Men don't cry girl. <laughs> Come on. I have standards to uphold. And this is what we're talking about. It's like yes. this inner stuff that's, that's, you know, it, it has nothing to do with like the relationship. And here I am thinking I did something wrong when right. it, it has nothing to do with me. And here's the good news. Yeah. So sorry. And I'll shut up and let you respond here. <laughs> but nope. here's the good news is like when we were laying in bed and this was, we were in the middle of it. I was totally conscious that 
that my, um, and we called attention to it, that my emotions were really unpredictable and kind of all over the place. And I like grabbed her hand and told her and said, I want you to know that I can see how hard you're trying, that you feel like it's something you did maybe, and it's not. Like I recognize my emotions are everywhere and I don't know why, just know that I love you. And like, this is where the, what I love what you said. If you focus too much on the inner work, you don't work on the actual relationship. And that's something that we've done really well over the last five years. So we've like the inner work stuff hasn't destroyed the relationship stuff because we've learned to communicate really well. And that was voice last night, which was really great. Yes. Yeah, I can hear that. I know what I'm asking you to say. Well, well, we can work with this, right? Like I, what I, what I hear in that, Ellen, I I hear a lot of awareness. Like it's obvious that you have done work, right? You're not starting from zero. But what I'm hearing in that is that you really have worked on your relational skills and your differentiation skills because you are able to take in that Katie is having a different experience than you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that is essential. It is essential. And it is something we do not practice in our enmeshed homes growing up. And I hate to say that, but I dare say that Mormon homes are, I, I would love to do a study on it sometime. I don't know how you would do it, but I would love some researcher, if a researcher, if you're listening, please do some research on this and tell me how, what percentage of Mormon homes are, are emotionally enmeshed because it's, it's huge. And we're, we are, we are enmeshed at church too. We are all emotionally enmeshed with one another. Um, so what I'm hearing there is that you've done work to be able to differentiate and to be able to deepen your awareness that Katie is having a completely different experience than you are. And you've done enough work to be able to put yourself and what, in, and to, to mention that, you know, something is going on with you and to be able to communicate that, which I'm guessing Katie made some space for you in what I'm guessing was not a very pleasant experience you were having. Well, I was just confused, you know, (laughs) just, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, and, and I feel like Alan's a pretty straight shooter. So, yeah, you know, like you can just pick up on the tone or the vibe. I mean, I, and I I don't mask emotions well, which I think is, it is a positive. It's a positive. Yes. Um, but I, it is, yeah, yeah, but you know, also though, um, that, uh, I don't know the, it's hard because this is so individual. If it does not have anything to do with me, it doesn't yes. matter how many back rubs or words of affirmation. No, no, no. Keep those up. Both of them. <laughs> or words of affirmation. I mean, I can definitely do be there to support, mm-hmm. but it's, it's going to have to be an individual effort. Correct. And I, and I see it on both sides, right? So for Katie, if you're in a, in a space like that, where all of a sudden your partner is giving off really confusing vibes. And when you, when you are married and you live with each other for this long, you are so good at mapping one another. Like someone can give a look and we uh, have an interpretation of what that means. The the dangerous part is if we've never done the work for us to understand ourselves and our reactions to that look. And if we haven't done, if they haven't done the look to understand them or done the work to understand themselves, 
it's far too easy to say, well, I've seen that look 50 times and I know exactly what it is. And I can tell Alan exactly what's going on in his head. And it has to do with me. And if he tells me it's not, then I'm not going to believe him because that is what it is. And I'm going to tell him what he thinks. You know, I'm not saying you do that, Katie, but it's, it's, like it's all of our, in our house. <laughs> well, we should have just recorded this whole interaction last night for you to analyze with that's us. True, that's true. <laughs> But this is where, so this is where maybe we can say something that would be helpful for people is that there's an opportunity for inner work on both sides here. There's an opportunity for Katie to look into what it means to her going back to, for the rest, for her life that predated Alan, right? And to say, what is it in me? Like, and, and I always start with the body. I always start with the body and the emotions, but, but particularly body, like what is, when you consider that confusion, what is happening in your body? Where are you locating that? Don't call it frustration or sadness or anger or whatever it was, call it tightness in my chest or a pit in my stomach or a tightness in my jaw or like, and really, really get in touch with what is happening to you physiologically, because your physiological reaction is the antenna to your subconscious that by definition, you do not have access to, right? In your thinking brain, you don't know what your subconscious is thinking. So it's really paying attention to that. And and this is where the mindfulness, you know, you can have a meditation practice sitting on the mat or not, uh, but mindfulness can be done out off the mat. Otherwise it's really not reaching its full potential. We've got to be able to access these things in the real world. So what that looks like is, um, so mindfulness is paying attention in a very specific way without judgment. So that would be Katie going, okay, I'm feeling a pit in my stomach. Isn't that interesting? I love to ask, isn't that interesting? Because curiosity turns off the judgment. So I'm going to ask myself that. And then before I start to define it, before I start going down the thought process of why and where, how I got here, it's asking yourself, what is right about this? What is right about the fact that I'm having this physiological experience right now? Because I have never sat with somebody who didn't have a really, really, really good reason for whatever is coming up for them to have that come up and everyone wants to know, well, emotions are not reliable because they're not, they're based on your own perception. Well, as a society, I find that we have really undervalued subjective reality. Hmm. We really want to come to an objective reality. We want to be able to define that Alan has been a problem and we all have to admit it and notice it. And, you know, rather than saying Katie's having experience and Alan's having an experience and they both got to it, honestly. So you don't actually have to decide what inherently happened. You just need to pay attention to what is happening to you. Okay. So when you go into that, you may find some wisdom at the bottom of that, Katie. You'll find something that, you know, my soul knows I deserve some things, you know, I deserve some consistency or I deserve some, um, 
you know, I deserve to be loved. I deserve good things. I deserve to be able to understand what's happening. I deserve to, um, be able to not take everything personally. I, you know, those things are good for my soul. And then if you take that truth into now analyzing what happened, it's going to come from a different place of our brains going down the road of like, well, what did I actually do to make Alan do X, Y, Z? And on Alan's side, it would be like, man, I'm noticing that my emotions are all over the place and getting really curious about what's what your own experience is. And again, the more we can get practiced at really noticing what's going on in our bodies over time, you know, five years from now, you'll be able to be like, oh, there it is in my body again. I know what that means. It's like it, it really, that's where my programming is showing up again. And thank goodness we have neuroplasticity. Those things can soften over time, but we have to be able to pay attention to them and we have to feel them in our bodies because our nervous system does not speak English. It speaks sensation. So that's where we have to be able to notice what's going on and then feel the peace in our bodies. I so we got, we got our free therapy. We got our free therapy. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I'm I'm actually really grateful that you took us through that because yeah. mm-hmm. I think that as a practical standpoint, people want to know what it looks like in your marriage. And yes. just having and thank you, Alan, for opening up. You didn't have to be vulnerable and talk about that, but um I appreciate you just being able to walk us through that because I think that it gives a bird's eye view into what could be happening in someone else's marriage, which is, this is what we are marriage on a tightrope. For me, it was a good reminder. What you said, what stood out to me was I'm always preaching curiosity to everyone in my life, people at work, my wife, my kids, my neighbors, like TikTok followers, like everywhere, curiosity is paramount. And you calling out, like, be curious about your own stuff. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't really, I guess I need to practice what I preach. I'm, I can be curious about a lot of things, but that's probably where I'm lacking is not being curious about what I'm feeling and experiencing myself. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And it's one of the hardest things for any of us, I think, because for whatever reason, I mean, I'm the same way. I, I can. I can talk you guys through this all day long, but you know, in my own marriage, in my own family, I'm stepping in it all the time. And, and this is, this is part of it. No one is going to be perfect at this. These are tools that are not meant to, if you do this, you're never going to have trouble again. It, no, it's a way to bounce back from whatever is going to be happening in, in a better way that doesn't drag out and hit your own self-worth and the way that you view other people. Right. So, you know, I will, I will say something, you know, I've got my patterns with my husband also, you know, I tend to be very direct, you know, it's not, it's not super fun to be married to me a lot of the time, not some of the time, um, other times it's a lump riot, but you know, <laughs> sometimes it's not great, but I can be really biting in a way that really triggers my husband's stuff you know, and he, he, he doesn't take it the way I intended it and we'll get into it. But the the key is not to have those things that the, the, the measure of a good relationship is not the lack of conflict. The measure is how do we move through? So it's in coming back later 
even if you haven't done all your inner work and you're not five years down the road and you're not understanding what's going on in your body, it, it doesn't matter. You can start this anytime by doing some of that work, even just a little bit and coming back and saying, okay, this is what I'm noticing about me. And this is how I interacted with you. And I want to, I do want to understand where you're coming from because I, these are the stories I'm coming up with in my head. It just helps us be a little more clear. Like when you, when you said that to me, I was, I, I just, I can feel everything tense up in me because I feel like I'm, I'm taking it personally. And it's not that you need them to set the record straight. You need to see that like, I'm, I'm not feeling seen, but can I, can I see myself? If I'm lacking acceptance, I don't need necessarily acceptance from you. I need acceptance from myself. But it's not one without the other, as we've been saying, right? It's not the inner work or just the, the, um, the relationship. It's both. But when we have acceptance of self, it softens the need to force you to be accepting of me. But then when you do accept me, that's also amazing and helpful to my healing. So I always say the healing has to happen within yourself, but you can't do it alone. You can't. I wonder, Jana, because you're a mom, you have kids. How does this apply to being a mom of children who are being raised in a situation where parents are not on the same page? Maybe they do get to the same page. We all bring trauma into our relationships. And I know the goal isn't to intentionally cause trauma, but mm -hmm. as parents, it's, it's kind of overwhelming mm -hmm. um, thinking about how we are raising children in a home like we are now. And so do, yeah, give, talk us through maybe some of the tools, if they would be the same tools yeah. with your kids. Yeah. Well, they are the same tools, but this is the frustrating part, guys. Like kids are not even, uh, they themselves are not capable of metacognition. In other words, thinking, you know, noticing their own thoughts and feelings and body and all of that until, you know, late teen into early adulthood. The, these are, these are really, this is the last part of the brain to, to, um, form. So honestly, it's less about teaching your kids tools and it's more about modeling so that they understand, you know, how to work through things. So what that looks like is, um, if things go wrong with your kids, it's being open to understanding what it's like to be them. It's being open to saying, you know, I, I can see so many ways that I, my own stuff has gotten in the way with our relationship. And I would, I just want you to know that I see that and that I'm sorry. And that I just here to support you being you, you know? Um, and for the parent to recognize um, that none of us get through this life without being traumatized by our parents in some level. <laughs> like, like literally there is no program to make that happen. There, there literally is not. Um, I, I once heard Richard Rohr say this. Um, he's not a big believer in original sin. He actually believes in original goodness. He believes in the goodness of the, the nature of mankind. 
Um, but he says, you know, if original sin actually exists, I would say it's that none of us, that all of us have been raised by imperfect parents. And so it lays down the foundation and it does, it is through trauma. It is through like our neural pathways, learning things that, oh, that wasn't safe. That wasn't safe. You know, um, the good news is that that doesn't just hamper us. Like it does cause our pain. It does cause things we have to work through as an adult. I'm working through as an adult, the trauma of my childhood and I'm enacting that out on my spouse and, and, and actually working that out with my spouse is a beautiful way in relationship is a beautiful way to work through our stuff. Otherwise we don't know what our stuff is, but we're all, we're all doing that work. But the other thing that it does is it creates our superpowers because we all have ways that we learn to cope. The the human beings are amazing. I don't know if you, you guys have read um, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, you know, but it's a great example. He takes all these examples of how something that should be a disadvantage in the world actually comes out to be an advantage. Um, you know, people, there's an overrepresentation in, in places of leadership with people with dyslexia, for instance, because when you, when you're dyslexic, you have to really hone other skills in order to get through. So we also don't want to wish away some of those traumas. Some of them, some of them take us down. I'm I'm not a believer in everything that um, that is hard. If you if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Some trauma can take you down, but some can really create your superpowers and the ways that we we show up in really beautiful ways in the world. So part of that is getting comfortable with our humanity getting really comfortable that it is messed up and glorious all at once. And we don't have to have it be different for our kids. I don't know that you want to see the kid that was raised in a perfect house that never had any traumas. You know, first of all, they're going to go out in the world and fold because the world is not going to hold them to that kind of a, in that kind of way that we have at home. So, you know, none of us were meant to grow up in the garden of Eden. None of us were meant to grow up with perfection um and we have to i think i think half of maybe more than half of the the trick to all of this is learning how to accept our own humanity and our our foibles and you know just keep going and working through it and with just gigantic dose of self-compassion i love that yeah self-compassion is hard so kids. hard. <laughs> compassion for kids is hard. <laughs> well, I have more compassion for kids, but yeah, self-compassion is hard. Um, but it is with that inner work that affects everything else. Yes. And when you've lived so long in survival mode, it's hard to see it any other way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just have to presence that honestly, I wrestle with this because I think having the time and the space to do inner work is kind of a privileged thing. Yeah. You know, people who have a little more space in their world to do the work, you know, it, it, it is a privileged position. And so there are so many people 
just doing their best in survival mode. And, um, you know, there are ways that you can start to enter into mindfulness even throughout your busy day. Um, but that's why, that's why it's really not even, I'm going to undo everything I I just said for the last hour, but (laughs) the most important thing truly is having, um, coming into alignment with your self-compassion to understand your, your, your particular uh, circumstances, because there's, there's a lot of trauma in marginalized communities. Um, and it, it really is kind of survival mode for so many people. And, and we just need to have so much compassion that everyone is showing up doing their very best. Oh, this reminds me of, um, I, I just, I think I told you, I saw this like super soul Sunday. I watched Richard Rohr and Oprah and, um, he was talking about, um, his new book, universal Christ. So, I mean, this, this has happened a couple of years ago, but, um, one of the things he talked about is, you know, if we think of like the living water as being what is you can consider as God's love or the love, um, that's a supernatural or a bigger person than yourself has for you. And you think Mm -hmm. about that love, um, water flows to the, to the depths of people's, Mm -hmm. you know, souls and water, water flows right down a mountaintop, Mm -hmm. down, down to the lowest part of the earth. Um, that's where love flows. And, and I feel like, um, you know, while we can definitely try and demonstrate that for others, it also flows to those deepest parts of ourselves, um, in those, in those places where we didn't think there was love or light. 100%. I love that. I, there was a story that was told at the living school when I was there, um, that kind of talks about this where one of, one of the students, cause they're, they're telling us at the beginning of the program, they won't really want us to have this contemplative practice, right? We're going to be learning contemplation. So we need to have a little meditative practice. And this is, these are all the ways that can look. And one young mom, a mom of young kids raises her hand and she says, this all sounds so amazing. And I would kill for the time to have like five minutes of contemplation. She goes, and I try, I get up at five in the morning trying to beat the kids up so that I can, you know, have a minute. And every time they start to cry the minute I wake up and I just can't seem to, to do it. What do you suggest for me? And Jim Finley has this just really wise uh, teacher there um, said, uh, how about you, you be you and I'll be God. And he takes her through, he says, you know, I just love you so much. And I love being with you so much. And I love that you are, you know, making this time to try to be with me. And so what I thought I would do is I would go into the body of your child so that I would know what it feels like to be held by you. And I love this story because it's not, you don't even have to believe in God to access this story because we're not talking on a literal level. Right. But I love this idea that God comes to us disguised as our lives. And whether you call that God or you call that humanity or you call that, you know, connection, whether you call that, whatever you call that, there is a place where we can see the the beauty and amaze and be amazed at what creation is. Because if you just 
stop and look at what is around us, whether it was scientific forces or a, a divine creator, there is what I call divinity through all of it. And, and this is such an important piece of this too, because you can't just do the inner work and be going through the slog of all of it all the time. We also need those experiences of wonder and awe and finding ways to do that with the people around us, which can be done even if we're not calling the same thing that we're experiencing God. We can call it different things. But finding those spaces of wonder and awe, um, it, it, it really helps us get through all of this. And it's it's really important to do when we're doing our inner work and when we're doing our couples work. Oh my gosh, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Mm -hmm. And I would love people to have resources if they want to yes. contact you, if they want to make an appointment with you. I know that you are a very popular lady. So can you tell us um, how people can contact you or get in touch with you mm -hmm. if they want to um, talk to you about any of this or schedule an yep. appointment or whatever? Yeah. So the best way to contact me professionally is, um, I'll just give you a symmetry, the symmetry um, website, the SO, symmetry SOLS.com. Um, and you can schedule an appointment with me there. Um, I just worked through my wait list, but I, I'm having to start one up. I'm, I got a little busy there. So um, I have a wait list from time to time, uh, but I try to get through it as quickly as I possibly can. Um, you can also follow me on uh, social media, um, Facebook, Jana Johnson Spangler, and on Instagram, I am Jan Jo Stan. Um, so you can follow me at each of those places and I try to throw tips and things up there, usually in my stories. Um, and then I also do some posts here and there. Um, so that's probably the best way to reach me for the time being. I'm working on a website and other things, but. Well, definitely follow her on Instagram. I love seeing your stories come up because mm -hmm. I feel like you pull um, all of mm -hmm. these super interesting ideas and quotes from um, a, a plethora of people and I enjoy it every day. So thank you thank so you. much for doing that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being here. It has been a pleasure. And I've just so appreciated your friendship and for the time you've spent with us tonight. Likewise. Thank you guys. It's been such, such a great thing to be here. And I just love you both. I love the work you're doing. And um, you're just a great example to people. I, I, I truly, I, I, this comes up in my office all the time where a lot of times they're just like, I don't even know how, like, how have they gotten to that place where they can have that conversation, you know? And um, so you're, you're a great example to give hope of like, what is it that can happen in these mixed faith marriages? So I'm just, I'm so grateful to know you and to be, and to call you friends. Oh, we're hugging you via Zoom. Zoom hug. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jana.